Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, buds? Papers Drink Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young. And wow, that feels good to say. Uh, and uh, today, uh, I am uh, excited to talk about the Caps free agent move. So, so excited that I've actually uh, re uh, kind of re- returned uh, briefly to Japers Drink Radio to kind of talk about this. And uh, I can think of no- someone no, uh, no better to discuss the Caps free agent signing than with the guy behind the Twitter account that Pretty much everyone seems to share the uh, player pages when he tweets out the uh, various moves that have happened. So, uh, uh, Jack, uh, Jay Fresh, how are you doing, man? I'm doing okay. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. It has. It's uh, it's good. I, I've been I'm enjoying kind of getting back in the swing of hockey a little bit now that I'm back stateside at least for the next bit. So, uh, so yeah, it's great. It's great to have you on. Uh, you're you're at a, you're at Elite Prospects these days, right? Yep. Yeah, I've been writing with them for about a year and a half now. Uh, yeah, nice. they, they treat me very nicely and I get to work with a lot of very, very smart people who, for instance, I won't name a name, but uh, send me DMs saying things like, man, Brady Kachuk did not advance his game at all last season. Oh, interesting. Which, it's just nice to have that dropped on your head every once in a while. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we can, uh, we can definitely discuss Kachuk related news, which is, which has been <laughs> kind of its own fascinating kind of entry into life but uh this is a nominally washington capitals podcast so i figure we should probably start uh with that so i guess when we're talking about the caps offseason i think the best way to start is maybe to kind of start at the what went wrong last year kind of thing because with the caps is an interesting question because uh, you are talking about a hundred point team right so clearly something went right uh but it seems like particularly the last half of the year like everything went wrong so what, or maybe not even everything went wrong. That's probably a little strong, but you know, things definitely weren't as strong as they were particularly pre Omicron. So I guess kind of what, what was your read on the caps last year and kind of what, what do you think attributed to the dip uh, that they, they definitely saw towards the end of the year? Well, you know, I, I, I probably have watched fewer capitals games in the second half of the season than I did in the first half of the season, which admittedly wasn't as many as maybe I should have, uh, you know, the caps, I think in a very similar way to the penguins just kind of keep, chugging along like they everybody keeps expecting these dramatic drop-offs from them and I, I think both teams experienced some some pains on the in the latter half of the season uh 
honestly, aside from different explanatory things you could point to, like you said, Omicron, the season being disrupted, I, I think for teams like that, there is something to the fact that these guys, the core of these teams are getting a little bit older. And yeah. as the season wears down, especially because these teams keep making the playoffs year after year, I don't think it's crazy to say that some of these star players might be starting to field a little bit by the end of the year and then you know, that leaves you in a, a difficult spot, which is why I think emphasizing younger players when you're trying to build out the rest of your lineup is very important because you do need people who maybe will have a little bit more endurance to go through the whole way of the season without falling off. Yeah. And I mean, you, you're going to kind of have a different and broader perspective than I'll have in my little caps corner. So I, I do, I do, I do think it's worth mentioning though, that I, I, you know, and I'm kind of curious your read on, you know, how things really shaped out NHL, like, pre and post Omicron, right? Because I mean, it's, it's easy to forget now that, you know, it seems like all COVID restrictions are dead and we don't seem to care anymore, but I mean, it did really impact things, right? I mean, you had basically a month and a half stretch of the season where teams were just having huge amounts of players out of the lineup. There was a lot of inconsistency. So is that, did that make it tough for you to kind of get a read on things? And do you think it, when, when things kind of reshuffled after Omicron, did you think that there were some just kind of league wide things that you were noticed that that weren't exactly the same pre Omicron? Well, I don't think it's crazy to say that the Omicron and and all the kind of non NHL players and goalies definitely contributed to the boost in scoring this year and, and maybe even down the stretch as well. Uh, that that seems to me the most logical causal explanation for the for the explosion in goal scoring this year relative to, to previous years. Um, I mean, the general thing is that especially for someone who's trying to analyze players and and make assessments, you basically have this kind of three season sample of just weirdness going on. Like you have a season that got cut short, then you have a shortened season, and then you have a season where games were being smushed together, and you were seeing teams playing several times in a week more than they would have otherwise uh and and you know to to circle back like once you have that schedule start getting compressed that is when older teams are going to start really feeling the pain uh and you know i think that that was a theme that you know other than the penguins there aren't any examples that, that jumped to the top of my head but i do remember kind of noticing that as being a bit of a trend down the stretch was that it seemed to be kind of the older teams that were starting to feel a little bit more flat once those games started to be compressed after the Omicron wave. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's obviously the, the lightning made their cup run, but you know, you think of a team that really had kind of, I mean, they were what a, a first wild card team, right? You know, they, they, I think might've even had that kind of happening and some of the older teams, at least on that end, definitely seemed like they, so some of the higher mileage teams, you know, it's, it's obviously tough when you have the, millionth round of covid shutdowns and you know needing to be far away from your families and stuff you know that kind of takes a toll huh yeah and look when it comes to the capital specifically i don't think we can talk about their struggles last season down the stretch without talking about the goaltending which was (laughs) a big a big issue for them i mean you have a goalie below 900 as your starter or at least kind of your 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 1a that's never going to put you in a very good spot caps are generally a, a pretty underrated defensive team, especially on the bottom half of their lineup. So when you can't have your goalie staying above kind of an, an expected level, then you might be, you know, looking to make a change there. And and they did, which is maybe the most encouraging sign, you know, as we move into talking about their off season. Yeah. Uh, because that was, that was the biggest issue was for last year for sure. With them was, was just the goaltending completely sold them down the river. 
Absolutely. And so before we kind of go into goaltending, one of the big setups to the Caps offseason, I would say, is Nicholas Backstrom, right? You know, the fact that they have $9 million locked in a player that, you know, I mean, I, you know, we all are kind of guessing here a little bit, but, you know, from what I'm kind of hearing, and I'm sure what you're hearing a little, like, this is going to be a really, really tough injury for Nicholas Backstrom to come back from. So kind of what does that do to a team to have $9 million locked over them in a way that's really tough because the player says he wants to come back right you know and but by all means you know he's an athlete of course he's going to try to come back but what does that kind of uncertainty really do to a team that having that high of a cap hit not knowing if it's going to come back in the regular season or not kind of what bind did that put the caps in before kind of going into these moves Oh, I mean, a, a huge one. I like if, if Backstrom, like so many people speculated before the offseason, was just kind of a total write off, like chuck that cap on the LTIR. We're never going to see this guy again. It would be one thing. But if the caps are seriously operating under the assumption that he is going to at least try to get back in the lineup at some point, which, like you said, you know, he's not going to let their cap structure stop him from trying to resume his NHL career if he feels that he can do it that obviously limits what they're able to put in terms of money on their roster during the off season. And I, I mean, honestly, based on the moves that they made, it might honestly have, have uh, enforced a kind of disciplinary effect that might have stopped them from doing more expensive moves that might've backfired stronger and, and maybe making a couple more savvy, smaller moves that actually I kind of like a lot more than, than what the alternatives might've been. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think I'm going to present uh, the the what I'm going to call the three bucket approach to the Capitals offseason. And uh, then we're going to I think we're going to go through each bucket and then I'm going to kind of present my grand unifying theme of the Caps offseason. And we'll see if you agree with it or not. So let's let's start with bucket number one, which is the obvious one. And it's goaltending. Right. Uh, you know, and I, 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 it, I know analyzing goaltending is one of the toughest things, you know, skater wise, we have metrics, we have kind of different ways that we have a pretty good idea of how to assess player impact and with goaltending still being, I think a little bit away, but with all that aside, what exactly does Darcy Kemper and Lindgren bring to the caps that, uh, the, what I, what I'm calling the Sammy coaster and Vitek Vanacek did. Well, Vanacek was, I mean, he, you know, and I, I know that a lot of Caps fans were very fond of, of Vanacek, but at least from a, statistic, from a statistical standpoint, he was just kind of mid. Like, he was kind of a mid-1B <laughs> goalie. He was there. He wasn't yeah. killing you like like Samsonov was at times, but he was he was just kind of there. Um, Samsonov, I mean, you know, you, you feel bad. He's in that Russian cohort with Shosturkin and Sorokin, and, and he's kind of the one who can't really put it together. I mean, you know, God knows what they're going to do with him over in Toronto. I'm sure they'll have oh, like God. an army of, of goaltending <laughs> specialists that they'll dump on his head and see if they sure. can get anything out of him. But, uh, you know, I mean, Lindgren, obviously, you know, he played like something like five games last season or, or something sure. else. Like I, I couldn't even point post a player card of him because I didn't have enough sample and they signed him to a three-year deal, which as a, uh, as a diet in the wool, Zach Fucali fan, uh, was very <laughs> upset to see that, but none, yeah, the, uh, the Zach Bucali train might, might be staying in the station, at least in Hershey for the next few years. The, uh, yes. but this is, this is a cap special by the way, too, of getting guys that are cheap, but long-term like, that's actually, they have a couple of guys in the fourth line, like uh, Hathaway and Dowd, for instance, that kind of specialize in that little thing. So that's a, that's a Washington Capitals special, but it, it was definitely, you know, kind of, kind of interesting to see that. 
Yeah, well, the you know the, the Fucali Frères will have to uh, recover from that somehow. But <sighs> I mean, look, the thing is, Darcy Kemper has been getting a lot of hate this off season because yeah. the time that you know he was in the desert for a couple of years, then he played in Colorado during the regular season. You know, not a lot of people. I know Colorado is an exciting team, but not a lot of people watch that many games outside of their home team, even if they might act as though they they watch every team in the league and have very infor- uh, informed eye test opinions of everybody. Yeah. Unless you're uh, Corey Schneider, you're not actually doing that. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much my, yeah. Unless you're Corey Schneider, I, I don't believe that you are actually watching enough of every team to, to form yes. a fully informed opinion from the eye test on every player that said. So with Kemper, the only time that anybody's really actually seeing him is in the cup final or later in the playoffs as well. After he's basically had his eye gouged out in round one, yeah. uh, and despite that, he won the Stanley Cup. So you're already operating on a pretty decent baseline here. Now, was he was he great in the Cup Finals? No, he wasn't. But all things considered, and you know, and assuming that that eye injury isn't isn't lingering, let's let's just assume that he's not going to be facing long term issues from that because all we've heard is that he's not. Uh, the past three seasons, and honestly, going back even before then, he's been one of the best goalies in the league. Like if you, if you look at his underlying numbers, like as far as you can be confident in a goalie being good, there's very few goalies who have been consistently strong the way that Kemper has. He was, he was not great in the first half of the season. He was maybe the second best goalie in the league behind Shesterkin in the second half. Uh, And his previous seasons with Arizona, he was always kind of the one thing keeping them together. So if you're signing a goalie, especially at, at the contract that the Capitals did, which they basically paid him like an average starter, which statistically speaking there's no reason to believe that's what he is if you're going to go out and get a goalie uh you know and if that's kind of the one thing that you need to do Darcy Kemper is pretty much the best that you're going to get that isn't a, a pure either kind of draft a guy in the second or third round and develop him and hope that he works out uh or just strike gold on some you know random guy who just happens to be a great goaltender like yeah. Can, I, like I, I like that move a lot, and I think people were really hard on the Caps, and I don't think it was necessarily justified. No, and I mean, the other thing is, I think it's it's also one thing, you know, there was reporting that maybe the number was going to start with a six, you know, and then it didn't, right? I mean, it started at, I mean, he's making, what, five, two, five, you know, for a a pretty clear number one goalie. Yeah, that's that's not bad, right? You know, and it's it's definitely one thing that, the other thing I think that's kind of being slept on is, I mean, obviously I don't think Vitek Vanacek's uh, contract with the uh, Devils makes a ton of sense, but if you just look at combining Kemper and Lindgren and their cap hits in the sixes, I mean, it's not like, you know, Jack, that, um, you know, Samsonov and uh, Vanacek's cap hit was even all that different when you factor in that they went to two different teams anyways, no? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty similar, and you're getting a goalie who, for all that goaltending is a crapshoot, you're getting a guy who the level that he's performed at in the past three years is much higher than a $5 million goalie. And that's pretty much the best you could hope for when you're signing a guy is to get him for at least below the value of what he's provided recently. Because as we know, with most unrestricted free agent contracts, you're paying at the high end of what the player has done recently. And the drop-off comes from there. So if you can give yourself a little bit of space, like I think they have with Kemper, where you're paying him already below the value that he's provided recently, then yeah. you give yourself a lot more flexibility if he is just, let's say, an, an average starter and not the the great goalie that he's been for the past three or four years. No, absolutely. And then, I mean, the other, I guess the other kind of angle to think about this too is, I mean, if there is going to be a team that's going to spend money on a goalie, I guess 
the Caps are kind of the team you would think that that should, right? You know, the window is. I, I know we. I kind of am tired of talking about windows, even though it did take a break from from the podcast here a little bit. But you know, it, it's safe to say, obviously, the core is aging, and so you know, if you're going to throw money at a goaltending, you know, to try to eke out as much as you can from Ovechkin and Co., then you know, it would seem that the Caps are the kind of team that would make a move like this, right? You know, it's not like I don't know. Uh, Montreal spending a lot of money on a goalie, right? Although obviously they're doing that, but you know, it's it's not like a bad team that's going to just spend money on a goalie that's going to then not kind of kind of make their results disproportionate and be out of their real contention window, right? I mean, if there was a team to do this, it would seem like the Caps, no? Yeah, they needed a goalie. They got the best goalie on the market. They got him for, I, I think, v- very good value. Yeah. Absolutely. After that, it's goaltending. Who the Who hell the knows? Hell but yeah. if you had to address the goaltending, and the Capitals certainly did, given both their window and their roster construction, you couldn't have really asked for a better outcome than, than what happened, if you ask me. Absolutely. All right. So that's bucket number one. I'm going to say bucket number two is what I'm calling the top six forward bucket. Uh, and we're going to put Dylan Strom and Connor Brown in there. Um, you know, and I think the the moves address different needs to the Capitals. So you know, I'm not going to lump them together exactly. I think it's probably safe to say that Dylan Strom is kind of your, you know, if Backstrom can't come back, you know, he's a guy, they only have him for a year, but I guess I'm kind of curious. I mean, obviously not qualified offered by the Blackhawks. No, no shame in that for him. Right. Because obviously they're looking to completely implode their entire team. I mean, when even I think Elliot Friedman saying that, you know, and he's about the most charitable interpretation guy I think you can get, you know, really they're, they're really doing, doing a number there. So I don't know, like, I mean, what do you, I guess maybe one way I want to frame this is the Caps got a few players and Dylan Strom and Connor Brown, I think are both examples of this, of seemingly kind of good players on bad teams. And, you know, that was a theme, I think, for a lot of the Caps moves this year, too. And so I guess with with someone like Dylan Strom, you know, who's a, a center, you know, and is someone that has kind of had different issues, you know, with being on bad teams, how do you evaluate that move? And what do you think he specifically brings to the Caps? So this bucket, I think the Caps knocked it out of the park okay. again. So Dylan Strom, one year for a guy who's 25 at three and a half million bucks. He, look, there there are serious issues with this game. Okay. All, I mean, all the stuff that he was drafted, you know, that, that, that was there when he was drafted, oh, his skating's not very good. Yeah. You know, the thing they always said about the Stroms, uh, and uh, actually a buddy of mine in Toronto was uh, an early skating coach for the Stroms. So it breaks his heart every time he hears it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, there are flaws there with Strom, but, but the, the good things with Strom are, are, Great. He's a he's a good rush player, uh, which of course uh, works for the Capitals. He's a good good playmaker. He has he's smart and tight. He makes good decisions under pressure. You know, there the the issues for him are are the skating and they're they're you know making decisions when he has a lot of space available to him. But if you put him kind of near the net, uh, he has a really great nose for things that he's able to get pucks across and and you know really create good opportunities for the guys he plays with. Um, He's been in a tough situation in Chicago. He did very well next to next to Patrick Kane, um, which a lot of people are just kind of giving all credit for anything he's ever done to Patrick Kane, which I don't think is fair to say. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, the main thing is that he's a center. He, he seems to be a, a second-line quality center, 
he's young. He's like, you know, one of the few players that you can get as a non-restricted free agent who's below the age of 26 or 27. Um, and he's going to be on on a very strong team, or, or at least a, a strong team, depending on, you know, how you think the Caps shake out for sure. maybe the first time in his career. Um, I, I I thought whoever got Dylan Strome was going to have made one of the best moves in free agency. And, and the Capitals, I think, were the perfect one. Because like I said, you know, if Backstrom was out for the duration and this was a team that could like just dump seven or eight million dollars on Nazem Kadri, I would have been very skeptical of that move and, and I probably sure. would have you know thought that maybe the caps were going all in on a guy who was who was bound to regress down to being a 45 or 55 point player and paying him like Evgeny Kuznetsov yeah. but with with Dylan Strom you get the upside and again like with Kemper you're probably paying below market value for what he brings right now um and Unlike Kemper, you know, this is a young player who might even grow into something. So I, I think that's a home run for the Capitals. If he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. You can move on. It's only on. one year. It's fine. Yeah. It's only one year. And I don't think that there were options in free agency who I would have rather the Caps have gone after anyway. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And then the other interesting one is Connor Brown, you know, who is a also kind of an interesting player, right? Like I think the, the videos that come to mind are of course, Connor Brown on the penalty kill. Right. But you know, he's an interesting player. It seems like shot effects wise, he's, he's not in a bad position there. You're, I think what, what your kind of card seems to really like Connor Brown. So what, what, what do you think he brings and how do you kind of see him slotting into the caps lineup? Connor Brown's interesting because like he he had a crazy shooting percentage year, not this past season, but the season before. Yeah. Uh, I think he was on like a 70 point pace or something crazy like that. People were were building this guy up like like crazy. But you know, he was always kind of a limited type player, like not much of a passer, kind of a shoot first player, speedy, played the PK and kind of plays like a very high risk style on the penalty kill. Yeah. Where he is he really, really wants to attack and he really wants to to put pressure on and, and, and <laughs> kind of goals. Um, the, the downside of which being that there are a few players who have uh, conceded more shots and scoring chances when he's on the ice on the penalty kill than Connor Brown. So you are getting a trade off there, but I think he also maybe has near the most shorthanded goals in the NHL in the past couple of years. Um, and, and then Brown this past season, you know, you look at the underlying numbers, you look at the micro stats, especially uh, you're suddenly seeing very strong playmaking, uh, good passing numbers, good high danger passing numbers, which he was never good at. Um, and, and that might be all an illusion. That might be just a certain kind of deployment, a certain line he was playing with. But the the thing for me with Connor Brown was that I was always like a little hesitant with Brown after last season, or I guess after the, the shortened season, when everybody was building this guy up as like an excellent first liner. And I was thinking, this guy's going to get overvalued. Someone's going to pay way too much for this guy. Uh, I, I don't think he's like a bona fide first line player and people are talking about him like he is. And then the caps get him for like a 2024 second round pick and nothing else. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, again, like he, he makes three point six. He's a rental at the end of the year. And you pay, you paid like a low trade deadline cost for a player. Like, like a player like Connor Brown at the trade deadline usually would go for like a second round pick in like the current year. If not yeah. like more than that in the crazy good, you know, up next year draft or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and, and that's what you pay for 15 games with Connor Brown and maybe sure. a playoff round. Um, and, and the caps got him for uh, the full season for a 2024 second Wait, like that. I understand that, that the, the Sens wanted to move out 
guys on their top six because of the the moves that they were making. But sure. again, I think the Cavs struck on a player who was for, for whatever reason, undervalued, even for the limitations that he brings to the table, he fits their cap structure extremely well. I think he fits well on their lineup. He can play either wing. Uh, looks like I would assume that he's going to start on the left wing because I, I think before free agency, I had Connor Sheary as the left wing on the second line, which as much as I love Sheary is not where I would no. want to yeah, slot it's... him. So no. you, you put him on the left wing. I mean, you play him with, with Dylan Strom and you put him with Anthony Mantha or TJ Oshie or whoever it is you want to put on that right wing. And that is a pretty damn good second line to me uh, with, with kind of room for growth. So both of those moves, I think addressed what the capitals needed on the, on the forward group without paying the exorbitant, free agent fees that almost everybody else was going for on July 13th or whatever it was. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because you wouldn't have exactly put the caps with Dylan Strom and Connor Brown necessarily, you know, like I, I, I mean, for a while we didn't even know Dylan Strom would be available. And then Connor Brown obviously comes in via trade. So who the heck knows, they you know what, whether he's going to get moved or not. So I don't know. It, it's interesting to me that, I mean, it seems like the the Caps and, you know, uh, the, I guess a few other teams really – seemed like they kind of zig where other teams zag a little bit, right? You know, it's, and it's, I, it's interesting to me that these are the kind of moves it seems like the Caps really specialize in in a lot of ways. You know, these kind of smart little, you know, maybe not the most obvious glaring moves, but, you know, like they seem to target guys that other teams maybe don't – uh, maybe you wouldn't even say don't appreciate, but maybe just they they're not in an opportune position on their current team. Right. And so it's, it's interesting that it seems like the caps and, you know, obviously another team that seemed to come to mind there is Carolina in probably a little more dramatic of a way this off season, you know, but it's interesting that like you, you see these teams over and over again, seem to kind of make these smart little moves. No. Yeah. I think the caps are definitely one of the more efficient teams in terms of building out, their roster around their star players, yes. um, you know, and, and there's some moves, obviously, I mean, the injury to, to Carl Hagelin is unfortunate, but he also fits that category of a guy that they gave a little bit of term, uh, but they really kind of dropped the cap hit on uh, and they've built themselves. I mean, I, I really have always been a fan of their bottom six. They always do extremely well defensively. You know, you can pretty much count on year after year, Garnet Hathaway and Nick Dowd and, and whoever they put down there is going to have excellent chance depression numbers. Um, and, and these moves are no different. I mean, you know, you add two guys who it seems like are going to be second line players on this team uh, for kind of middle six low end money. Uh, you yeah. know, you can always count on the efficiency. The thing with the Capitals is that, you know, they're, they're so efficient in these moves that it, it, it's always kind of disappointing when they end up in that kind of like 98, 100, 102 point range. And then they kind of go out in the fourth in the first round because, you know, whatever kind of that next level doesn't totally hit. But I rarely have huge issues with roster moves that the Capitals make. And, and I think this offseason is is kind of no different. So I guess yeah. a lot comes down to how the goaltending holds up and how Ovechkin and Kuznetsov and John Carlson are gonna lead this team next year. Absolutely. All right. And then the final bucket is um to kind of round out things a little bit is what I'm calling the lottery ticket bucket. Uh, I'm going to list off some names and I guess chime in if you think any one of them does anything for you. And those names are Gabriel Carlson, Henrik Bordstrom, and Eric Gustafsson. Uh, Gustafsson, sorry, uh, my 
I guess having COVID and, uh, you know, trying to pronounce some of these names is maybe not the easiest combination. Plus, the Cavs re-signed Marcus Johansson. Know how to say that one. Any any, any of those ring a bell to you? Any, any you know, kind of, I, uh, it seems like Gustafsson is kind of labeled maybe for the bottom pair for the Caps, but any any kind of value there? Any any Anyone particularly ring a bell for you? I mean, Borgstrom, like I said, you get a chance to sign these guys who are under UFA age on July 13th. Yeah. I don't think you can really complain about that. See what he's got. It might be nothing. It might be something. I no complaints about that. And it's certainly higher upside than a lot of bottom of the lineup signings that certain teams like say the Pittsburgh Penguins might've made (laughs) a couple weeks ago. Um, Marcus Johansson, fine. You know, not not really a, a big one there. Eric uh, Gustafson certainly better than bringing back Justin Schultz at at the money that he got, but <laughs> yes, you know, and and he it's always been the same with him. He's always he provides good offensive value. He's one of the worst defensive defensemen in the NHL. That that's just how it goes. You know, you maybe plug yeah. him in as a power play specialist, maybe you don't, but you know, at eight hundred thousand, uh, he's not exactly going to kill your team this year. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I think low key Trevor Van Riemsdyk as some of those other smart cap saints will tell you had a incredible season just by dragging Jeff Schultz uh, just anywhere near positive in terms of shot share metrics, you know, just a unbelievable, you know, Norris level performance by, by my favorite Trevor Van Riemsdyk. So there you go. Um, So they, the caps then lost all of their goalies, Jeff Schultz and, and Johan Larson. So I guess I'm kind of going to build to my big unifying theme of the Caps offseason, which is uh, they replaced their bad players with good players. Um, That's kind of my big dumb theory, you know, that I think that they, you know, you can look and you can put these in buckets like we did. But really, I think they kind of just saw some of the weak parts in their lineup and then they just figured out ways to kind of target and optimize them. I mean, does that, does that make sense to you or is there maybe even a bigger message here that I'm missing for the caps? Nope. I think you're right. I mean, you know, the caps, they have their stars. They're just going to ride or die with them, which I respect as a penguins fan, I, I respect. And I think that that's the right move. So ultimately all you can do is really build out the rest of your lineup as efficiently as possible. And I think the caps have, have done that here. I like the moves they made a goalie, like the moves they made, uh, on, on the forwards, especially um, with the defense, you know, they have room, I think, to add uh, during the season if, if they've if they're kind of finished for now. Um, but can't really complain about anybody they brought in. They certainly didn't sign, you know, Ben Sherratt to a five times five contract or anything like that. So no, all things considered, I, I would say that the Caps had a very good offseason. And what it really comes down to is what is the ceiling of what this team can achieve at this point in its window, which I think is also a very valid question to ask about uh, the team that I happen to cheer for, which is <laughs> in a very similar spot and maybe had a slightly crummier off season. But uh, yeah, look, I mean, you know, it's a tough division. It's a tough league. It's a tough conference. Uh, we'll see what, what the capital stars can do, but I don't think you can really uh, get annoyed at uh general manager, Brian McCullough GMBM for uh, what he did this summer. Absolutely. All right. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. And then on the other side, I'm going, to, we're going to take a brief and I mean, brief look at the rest of the Metro. And then we're going to kind of uh, talk our picks for the Met for the, how we see the things shaken out in the Metro. So with that, uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to Jay Prison Radio still here with uh, Jack. And so Jack, um, 
let's talk about Pittsburgh, right? I mean, I think you've you've alluded to them a little bit. They I definitely had a very high event offseason, right? You know, they re-signed basically their entire core, you know, with Malkin, Latang, I guess Evan Rodriguez. Uh, you know, they they kind of make up make some and then, you know, so they do they do a lot of those kind of moves, you know, they uh you know, uh, resign a lot of interesting pieces. And then they do a lot of interesting de-swaps, right? They, you know, they swap Petrie and Matheson to to get Jeff Petrie. And then they almost, in a de facto way, uh, I don't know what you value of Ty Smith. Uh, it's probably not super high, I would imagine. But uh, in a way, almost swapping uh, Josh Moreno for Jan Ruda. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious, what do you make of what the Penguins did this offseason? I mean, clearly I think they, they felt the need to shake up the D and having seen some Pittsburgh Penguins hockey, I think that's probably a fair point. So I don't know. At the same time, they were pretty good last year. They, I mean, all their shot share metrics are really good. It seems like, you know, they were right there again, you know, I, like what do you, maybe let's start by saying, what do you think Pittsburgh's offseason moves were designed to address? And then, do you think they got there with them? Well, I mean, do you have an hour and a half? Uh, look, the, you got the, two minutes. <laughs> yeah. So the Penguins offseason was clearly just supposed to get as much continuity as possible. I think you could argue begrudgingly uh, and shake up the D. I think they were clearly unhappy with the blue line. They've always wanted to move somebody back there. Um, and, and they certainly did that. Now, do I think that they moved the right somebody? Maybe not. Uh, do I like, you know, getting Ty Smith back for a very stable defensive defenseman in John Marino? Not so much. Um, do I like the Ricard Raquel contract for a 29 year old player who has always struggled to score when he's not playing with a high end playmaker? Uh, no, not so much, but fundamentally, and I think, you know, you probably felt the same way about when, Backstrom and Ovechkin were signed to those long-term contracts. I, the biggest way that the Penguins could have screwed up this offseason would be by not bringing back Chris Letang and, and Evgeny Malkin. Like that is what yeah. it all revolved around for me. Is this team, you know, as long as Crosby's on the team, they're not, and and they shouldn't be. And honestly, keeping the window as you know vaguely open as you can, in the same way that the Capitals have. Um, for these last couple of years and, and having, you know, these players able to retire as Pittsburgh Penguins, I think is more valuable to me than if they just like blew it up for Crosby's last years and then maybe sped up the process a little bit. Um, sure. I, I certainly am not psyched about how the bottom half of their roster is looking. I think they're kind of the opposite of the capitals in terms of how they've allocated their cap money. Um, don't love the cap in an extension sign today. Certainly did not love. Yeah. That was a strange for- one for me. Yeah. Certainly did not love the Jeff Carter extension when it was signed in the middle of last season when he was already struggling. Um, Jeff Petrie, I think he's interesting. I think that's a, a big upside play. I think he's he's underrated, but he's also 34. So, you know, God knows what's going to happen in the next three years with that deal. And, and they got older. Jan Ruda, I mean, unless he is bringing Victor Hedman with him in his suitcase, I don't expect <laughs> that much from him. But at least now that the dust has settled, it looks like he's set for the, the bottom pair role. Sure. Ty Smith, certainly not a fan of what he has done so far in his career. Total bet on potential. Hopefully, I mean, this is a parallel with, with Justin Schultz. I think their their metrics actually look somewhat similar to, to what Schultz did his first couple of years in the NHL. So that's I'm just praying on that, that something's going to work out there. Sure. Um, yeah, overall, <coughs> the 
the the broad strokes of what the Penguins did in the offseason, I am glad that they are not, you know, that they didn't like bring like let Malkin walk and bring in Trocheck and do all the crap that people were, were speculating they might do. Sure. Um, but I I would say that I I don't love what they have done to rejig this roster, especially in the forward group, um, compared to say what a team like the Cavs did. Like if the Penguins brought in Connor Brown and Dylan Strom, for example, instead of Kasperi Kapanen and Ricard Raquel. You'd I feel would, like they're way better. Yeah. I, yeah. I would be a lot more happy with, with what they did in the off season. Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, th- like you said, the team was great last year. They, they ran over the Rangers in the first round and then had, they got goaltended. Yep. They, they had an AHL in the net. They blew some, yep. some leads, you know, it's all, all, very unfortunate, and it's all been gone over. But the point is that the team can still play. Um, every year, as with the Capitals, everyone's going <laughs> to fall off a cliff. They never do. They have a good coach. I just am happy to let them run with it and just keep taking runs at it and giving us fun Penguins hockey, just like, you know, fun Capitals hockey. You get to watch Ovechkin try to go for the goals record. We get to watch Malkin and Latang retire as Penguins. I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. And watch Crosby, you know, probably cement himself, right. You know, and maybe the inner, inner, inner circle of the uh, kind of NHL, uh, you know, legends and everything like that. As painful as that is for me to say as a Washington Capitol fan. Yeah. And um, I don't have to reflect on the passage of time. Uh, no. By seeing these players not be Pittsburgh Penguins anymore. I can delay it for three years, which I'm very happy about. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, keep, uh, keep all the old jerseys in the closet and everything like that. Right. So, uh, all right. Um, the other, the other big team uh, that I don't know, I'm, I'm always tired of talking about them as a Penguins fan. I think you probably have the same instincts I do, but they did have a really interesting off season and that's the Carolina hurricanes. Um, I, you know, the news today about Nino Niederreiter getting, you know, uh, a two by a, what a four by two contract or whatever with the predators is, is interesting to me. Cause I, I was surprised when I saw that number that Carolina wasn't at least in on maybe trying to bring him back. Although they might well have been, uh, I, they were interesting to me, you know, in that they, they had a very kind of high event off season. So it seems like most people kind of are saying that they think on aggregate, the, the, the Carolina hurricanes got a little bit better, although that's maybe tempered a little by losing Nino Niederreiter. So I guess kind of how do you see things having shaken out with Carolina's off season? Well, I mean, you know, they had 160 points, 16 points, but certainly yes. not 160 points uh, <laughs> last season. That would be remarkable, but <laughs> it would be, I, I think that they were pretty much bound to regress from that anyway. So like yes. anything, any way of kind of assessing their off season, like I, I, I think it was safe to say that they were going to fall to earth a little bit, whether it was because of goaltending or, or what have you. Um, but you know, even if they're a worse regular season team than they were last year, I feel like they got better in the areas that they needed to, uh, if they were going to take another leap forward uh, in the playoffs, uh, Brent Burns, I mean, there's risk there, but at least they got him at a relatively cheap number. I mean, he's making less than Jeff Petrie next year. Yeah. Um, and I think he, like, he fits what they do like a glove. Just, you know, he loves the point shots. He's a great breakout passer. You know, he's, he's still a strong physical player. Um, you put him with Jacob Slavin. I don't think you have to worry about, the defensive play nearly as much. And I think he's been a little bit better in that regard in the past couple of years. I, you know, honestly, like this is kind of like a way of quote unquote, bringing back Dougie Hamilton 
in, in a different yeah. way. Because like like when when Brent Burns yeah. is playing like Brent Burns, he is really similar to Dougie Hamilton, um, and you know with you know and maybe with some attributes that are a little bit better than than Dougie, some attributes that are a little bit worse. Obviously, he has the age going for him negatively, but I think he's going to fit really well next to. But they're to also like, not going to ask him to skate twenty five minutes a night like he wasn't exactly in, uh, San yeah. Jose too. They don't have to do that. They're not paying him nine and a half million bucks. Um, you know, Tony D'Angelo, he produced a lot. I think he, he, he did some good things in the offensive zone, but I, I really think he relied very, very heavily on, on Jacob Slavin to, yes. to insulate him defensively. And I don't think Burns is necessarily a guy who they're going to, who's going to be a total liability when he's not out there with, with Slavin, um, with patch already. I mean, yeah. How can you be upset about that? Elite no. goal scorer perfect uh, elite, acquisition elite chance, for them yeah elite chance creator you get him for free or or you know less than free um and you can just slot him on the first line he's a rental they can move him if things really go south but i wouldn't expect them to and he addresses their biggest problem which is that they can't freaking score so yeah. you know that alone like it's it's upsetting to lose trocheck i guess we'll see if kakaniemi is an internal replacement for him um it's too bad to, to lose nita rider I guess we'll see what Andre Kasha has in the tank. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they have a full year of Seth Jarvis uh, to look forward to, you know, like, like all things considered, even if they did lose some pieces in their lineup that were valuable, I, I still think that they've positioned their roster to be better in terms of getting them closer to the Stanley cup. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And we'll have to kind of see, I guess, how that all ends up shaking out. So and then I guess the, the final big thing about the Metro is, you know, because I mean, the Rangers didn't really do a ton. The, you know, Islanders, who knows what they have done or haven't done, you know. Uh, so I guess, but the other two teams, I guess, that are noteworthy, and I'm going to lump them together because, you know, we're at the end here, is uh, CBJ in New Jersey. Um, you know, they, they got better. I, the thing though, that I think people tend to forget in the off season, you know, when things are in a vacuum is just, is just how much separation there was in the Metro between the capitals and, you know, and the Islanders who were the ones that finished in fifth and were, I think 16 points behind the cap. So, you know, and then CBJ and New Jersey were even further behind that. So obviously I think both of those teams got better. Do you think they got anywhere near better enough to really, you know, start saying, okay, maybe they're the fourth best team in the Metro, you know, or do you think they're still maybe a little bit away? Well, I mean, my model friggin' loves the Islanders for some reason. It's because it. Yeah. What the heck is going on with. So it's their, their goaltending. So goaltending being a very important feature in the model, which I I think is maybe something I need to look at um, because it's so unpredictable generally, but you know, it thinks they do that goaltending, right? It, you would it say thinks that, that they you know? have the second best goaltending tandem in the league in Stroke okay. and and, uh, and Varlamov, and <laughs> predictably, it just it adores the Pelican Pulak pairing. Yeah. Um, as a, as it yeah, as as I think it, it it considers it to be the the best or second best pairing in the NHL. So you kind of combine those two things, you have a generally a decently deep roster. Um, it, it comes up being very positive about that. Now, I okay. don't think that they're going to be a 100-point team like the model does. Um, I do think that they're going to be a, a decent amount more competitive than last year. They have a lot to make up for. Um, you know, Like you said, 84-point team last year. They're going to need to obviously be in the mid-90s if they're going to try to compete for a playoff spot. That's, that's a lot to ask for a team that hasn't gotten any better. I guess we'll see you know, what they have you know, going, yeah. like if, if they're going to be a team that's going to try to f- figure out a way to get Kadri or, I mean, God, even Matthew Kachuk or something. Um, 
but they they certainly do have a decent amount of upside. Columbus, on the other hand, I I am a, a Columbus skeptic. Um, Interesting. Okay. They were a team. They finished 500 last year, and everybody keeps talking about how they got 81 points despite COVID and injuries and a very young blue line and all this stuff. I mean, they had a minus 35 goal differential. I, I think they really were kind of one of those teams who finished with a couple more standings points than maybe their play uh, warranted. Uh, okay. Worst worst defensive team in the league last year. Uh, pretty poor goaltending overall, and they brought back the same tandem. Didn't make any changes on the blue line, um, other than no, they did. No, no, no. They 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 made one change. Oh, right? Sorry. Yes, you're right. <laughs> you're right. They didn't make any positive changes on the. There blue you line. go. They there did go. add. So of course, yeah. asking about uh, Eric Branson, who they gave inexplicably gave uh, a four million. I think a, what a four by four contract, if I remember correctly, for him. Indeed. Yeah. Oof. Uh, they don't change Uh-oh. anything else other than they bring in a player who, uh, you know, certainly a very high end player, uh, a, a player who I, who I think the world of, but you know, who also had 115 point season next to two very talented players in a system where everybody had a career year yeah. and who the seasons before that scored at around a 70 point pace in each of them. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to totally regress when he comes to Columbus and he will have talent to play with, but I think if you're expecting 100 points from Johnny Gaudreau next year, you might end up a little bit disappointed. And he, I think, makes the things that they're already pretty good at better and doesn't really do anything to address the stuff that they stink at. Um, So they, I mean, they were 81-point team last year. I see them as maybe like an 85 point team and, and maybe okay. Merzlikens will have a Vesna caliber season and, and I'll, I'll look ridiculous for that. But I, I think they really kind of just stacked a elite winger on top of a very mediocre roster. Yeah. yeah very kind of rotten foundation that has a couple years until it's going to be, I think anywhere near kind of playoff ready. Okay. And then New Jersey, you know, they, I think, had a very eventful offseason. I, I do think New Jersey unequivocally got better, right? Like, you would, you would definitely say that, you know. But it's, uh, I, you know, again, they, they were really in the hole last year. And, I, you know, you would say goaltending in particular, you know. I mean, I, I guess you'd say Vitek Vanacek is a bit of an upgrade, maybe. But I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know, you know. Any, anything was going to be an upgrade. Like, that. that's the thing. It's like, it, it as ridiculous as it might be to say, you know, we just praised the Washington Capitals for replacing Vitek Vanacek. And now here we are saying, well, you know, thank God the Devils got Vitek <laughs> Vanacek. But that really That was, is how bad their goaltending that was. That is how bad their goaltending was. And, you know, Blackwood, he does tend to start the season well and then kind of fall off a cliff. Sure. Who knows if maybe in kind of a smaller role, if that will change, I guess we'll see. But yeah, I mean, the thing with the Devils is that you would, you would hope if you're them that, uh, their, their, their goaltending couldn't get any worse than it was last year, and that will improve a bit. And then, you know, around their lineup, a healthy Jack Hughes, you know, adding John Marino, obviously I'm a big fan of. Yes. You know, I think that they're kind of, they're building their way up, but, you know, like every year we say that they're going to make the leap and suddenly be a playoff team. And, you know, if they had gotten Johnny Gaudreau, then maybe this would be a more interesting conversation. But I, I just don't really see them as a team that can compete with a higher tiers uh you know unless we see jack hughes like put together like a heart trophy season which is not out of the question no no you know i mean he definitely has the talent right you know but again we're talking about and i think this always gets forgotten right you know in the vacuum of an off season but i mean the devils were one of the worst teams in hockey 
right? You know, like they were not even close to a playoff spot. So, you know, there's, it, you know, it'd be one thing if you're saying, okay, they were like five, six points out, they were playing better towards the end of the year, then maybe you could kind of squint and see it a little bit more. But I think that's, that's always something to me that, it's easy when you're in the off season and everything is in a vacuum, but then you forget, okay, you know, there's still the rest of the roster aside from these moves. And then, you know, I'm, I'm still not, I think as high on the rest of that roster as, you know, maybe, maybe some others. So it's definitely, but you know, I guess that's, that's why we play the games and we'll see. Yep. yep. Okay. So, all right. Final thing. Um, I, you know, let's let's maybe say we have eight teams in the metro you know i'm I'm not going to necessarily ask you to rank all of them but you know let's like try to maybe they get at minimum three playoff spots you know where who do you think the playoff teams are in the metro and maybe try to try to rank them as best you can so i think the the hurricanes are a pretty safe bet here that's right um the i mean the rangers the Rangers have too much talent for me to put them outside. Um, even like the underlying numbers were not good this season. Like we've all, you know, we've all gone through the whole rigmarole. Like they get yeah. outplayed and then they get the great goaltending. And we can't expect Shesterkin to have the season that he just had again. Like very, very few goalies follow up the, a season like Shesterkin just had with another season like that. Like they're going to see some regression there. And, and this could be a team that, totally falls apart and 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 just tumbles but at least for the time being you know i think their their youth their high-end talent I, I i still would have to put them in the playoffs and and the same thing with the penguins like I, you know i haven't seen the reasons to believe that the penguins are are ready yet to fall off um i mean and the same thing is true of the capitals like this really yep. is kind of a division where like those were the four playoff teams last year and i don't think any of those groups did enough damage to themselves in the off season. <laughs> I think that they are going to fall, fall apart. The one, the thing I will say about the penguins and it's something I didn't necessarily to- totally get to is that they always deal with a gi- giant pile of injuries and they always have the depth to deal with it. Like they have guys like Danton Heinen and Evan Rodriguez who, who, who they didn't bring back um, or at least they haven't brought back yet. Um, I don't think they have that right now and and they seem pretty happy with how their forward group looks so if they get injuries i could see things really turning badly yeah. for them um and then yeah I, I mean honestly things i could see things kind of shaking out a lot like they did last year like i think the islanders will be better i think the jackets will be a little better i think the devils might be a little better <laughs> you know this is kind <laughs> of a I, I think we're probably going to see regression from we're going to see regression from the rangers i think pretty confidently like they had 110 yeah. points last year i can see them being like a 100 point team uh or you know maybe somewhere in that range the hurricanes were a 116 point team i could see them coming down and being 110 or 10, you know yeah, 100 105 like point team something like that um which which i think that does kind of leave enough points for the Islanders, the Jackets, and the Devils to to bump up their totals a little bit, and then, I mean, God, the Flyers already had sixty one points last season. Like we're all talking, and about I think how they got worse, right? Like safely, you would say I think they got worse. I, I mean, certainly worse than what they were, kind of in the full, se- like what they had for the full season. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, now they're going to be without Claude Giroux for a full season, right? You know. Yeah, like they don't have Claude Giroux. I mean, you know, I guess with injuries and stuff, like they do, like they'll have maybe Ryan Ellis back question mark okay you know they have you know it Couturier. seems like no one knows what to make of ryan ellis like in his yeah situation. And like i mean couturier too like he missed almost the whole season last year 
you know, maybe he's going to be back. Uh, you know, like theoretically, I guess Anthony, like Tony D'Angelo is like an upgrade on whatever the heck they had as their second pair of right-handed defensemen. I mean, Carter Hart, he certainly has upside. I mean, you can talk <laughs> yourself into pretty much any team in the NHL. I could talk myself into the Flyers being like an 80 point team next year if I absolutely had to, but they are a team that I do have a very difficult time saying, you know, has the upside to end up in the playoff race, which I don't think is true of the other, the other groups in this. Uh, yeah. in this division. Well, it's just a shame. I mean, you know, I mean, I, the, uh, the anonymous GM that I think was quoted today is saying it's really hard to move money. You know, it's uh, they, uh, they totally was not at all Chuck Fletcher. No, no way he would say something like that. Right. Uh, but you know, it's there, that's uh, you know, obviously uh, a deep shame for them, you know, that they weren't uh, able to kind of make the, make the moves around to kind of get Johnny Goudreau who seemingly wanted to sign there. So, you know, that was, I think maybe what a, I, I could see an ESPN 30 for 30 in like five or 10 years or something, just going into the Goudreau situation situation and just kind of seeing exactly how bad the flyers screwed that up yes yeah i (laughs) i mean that organization is a total mess like even if we are going to grant them that maybe they'll do a bit better than 61 points somehow next year uh, i think i have them projected like 71 points or something like that i mean just the direction of the franchise is is definitely the most incoherent in in the division for sure Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see, you know, as long, we'll see, I guess, for as long as Chuck Fletcher has a job, you know, we'll, we'll see how that kind of shakes out. But, uh, but Jack, this is a lot of fun. Thank you for being willing and flexible and kind of introducing me back into the podcasting game. So uh, plug some stuff, where can people kind of find your various work and uh, you know, what, what do you, what do you got down the pike right now? Well, they can find uh, my stuff on Twitter at jfreshhockey. Uh I will say you you missed the main event, which was free agency day, when I basically drove myself crazy, uh, posting takes for like every single signing as well as all the. You did. Cards. It was in. It was a my. It was a um, theatrical performance to uh, to <laughs> say the least. It was wonderful. It was a lot. I was very tired after that, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but I'll I'll still be posting throughout the off season. I've been doing a lot of uh, fan surveys as well. Which I always enjoy, you know, like like goaltender rankings, logo. He ranked the logos, like right? Remember recently, if I'm not, if I recall, I did. I think that was like yesterday or the day before yesterday. Yeah, that's always that's always fun. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, you have I have enough of a following that I can get like three to five thousand people to just vote on kind of any random thing that I ask them to vote on, which basically means if I'm kind of curious how hockey fans feel about any given thing, I can basically just make them tell me. You have a ready focus group right there, right there, and willing and ready. Exactly. With, with like a higher end than like most opinion polls. So I, I do appreciate that. Um, you can also find my writing at uh, elite prospects uh, for EP rinkside. I just wrote a, a little rundown of teams that I thought improved their rosters uh, in the off season. Uh, I'm also, I was tasked with writing a piece about where the Calgary flames should go uh, oh. po- post <laughs> uh, post Gaudreau. And then I had to put a pin in it because all the Kachuk stuff, uh, popped up right when that happened so whenever kachuk gets traded you can expect that piece um and then finally uh i i do operate a patreon where you can access all of the visualizations and stuff that i make uh, including uh, a recent collaboration that i'm very excited about with a friend of uh jasper's rink radio or, or japer's rink radio? Japer's, like- rink. japers rink yeah yeah, yeah. The, don't 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 catch uh, don't let jp uh, hear you hear you say J- jasper's because i think he'll, uh, he'll have an amurism so <laughs> fair enough yeah. uh yeah uh you know a uh, former i think f- friend of the show uh cory schneider who i think Absolutely. we brought up before 
Yeah, he's he's been on the show a lot, and and I've yes, been very excited to be able to uh, collaborate with him and and start kind of bringing his microstats into the mix and start visualizing them. So actually, I'm kind of doing a, a big project with that right now uh, that I'm very much looking forward to. All of that is available uh, on my Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/JFreshHockey. Um, and yeah, I think that pretty much Absolutely. covers where you can find me. Absolutely. And uh, I, I will, uh, before I kind of go into the, the various show plugs, uh, you know, I will also say Jafer's Rink is a proud and happy supporter of Jafresh's uh, Patreon. We, we regularly use it. We really enjoy it. So uh, highly endorsed right there. So uh, yeah, with, with that, uh, thank you for listening to the show. If you like it, please rate, drive, subscribe, review. Um, I don't exactly know how the rest of my off-season schedule is going to work. Uh, as people may or may not know, I'm getting married in a month. So, you know, that's going to kind of be the bulk of my focus for a little bit. But uh, I, I plan on kind of diving in as I see things fit. And uh, Stregum has the show in good hands aside from that. So, uh, yeah, uh, Jack, this has been a lot of fun. Let's, uh, let's have you back on soon. This, this is a blast. Sounds good, and uh, congratulations. Thank you very much.